0: Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, tonight's lesson is personal responsibility. God had given me this lesson and the name and I realized not specifically looking at the doctrine, but I do realize that there are some who teach that as a phrase title for specific doctrines. And those that use that phrase type usually associate it with legalism. So I think first we have to touch on what real legalism actually is. There are those who would say that if you believe that you have any form of personal responsibility within scripture or within your faith, then you're being legalistic because God does everything and everything is just pre-planned and it just is what it is. So... I think before we even get into the things that the Bible tells us that we are personally responsible for, we have to look at what legalism really is. Because personal responsibility is actually the opposite of true legalism. You know, kind of like self-righteous people always accuse you of being self-righteous when actually you're being the opposite. A legalistic person is one who points out everyone else's flaws but doesn't see their own. A truly legalistic person, just everything is wrong. Everything you're doing is wrong. This is wrong, that is wrong. They're, they're manipulating, they're making you feel down. They're, they're trying to control your actions with the way that they make you feel, but they themselves are not doing. That's why Jesus said, get the beam out of your own eye before you try to get the splinter out of somebody else's. Because if not, you're a hypocrite and you're legalistic and it's not gonna do any good. A legalistic man is harder on others than he is on himself, but a righteous man is harder on himself than he is on others. Legalism is anything that you do to please or impress man. I've heard David Wilkerson give that uh, description before, and I like it. He said, if you do it to please God, it's obedience. If you do it to please a man, it's legalism. You can look at something as simple as fasting. There are those who will say fasting is legalistic. No, it's obedient if the Lord told you to fast. Now, if the Lord told you to fast, it's obedience. If people told you to fast, if it was something that your doctrine or your church mandated and said you had to do this and you just did it so that you wouldn't be the oddball out, well, then that's legalism because you didn't do it for God. You did it for people. (laughs) And I would say, too, that legalism can also fall in the realms of when you try to make a personal conviction a corporate rule. Or you try to make it law. Or maybe right. it is something the Lord told you, but it's something that he's dealing with you and that you try to impose that on everybody. Right. Then that becomes yeah. legalism. Yeah. Legalism is also doing things to put on a persona of holiness. The Pharisees were often guilty for that. They prayed loud prayers in public and they they put on these shows and they did all these things, but it was just a persona to make themselves seem so holy, it was i I'm better than you, I'm higher than you, kind of a thing. And it's usually done hypocritically or inconsistently or unproportionately. You know, they'll they'll Jesus, when he rebuked the Pharisees, he said, you know, you'll go across the sea to make one proselyte, but yet you won't do this. You know, you'll make a big deal about not washing your hands, but you're making people dishonor their parents. You're, you're inconsistent. You're just doing things that are convenient, but not for The sake of souls are for God. You're more concerned about other people's responsibilities in the Lord than your own personal responsibilities. And that makes you legalistic. So, having said all this, we can see that a person who is concerned about their personal responsibilities is actually the opposite of legalistic. Because a legalistic person is actually concerned about everybody else's responsibilities, but not their own. So let's take a look at what our own responsibilities are as saints. In Romans 16, verse 3, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. This is Paul speaking about this husband and wife couple. Unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas, who is the firstfruits of Asia unto Christ. So we know that this was Priscilla and Aquila's house. They had a church in their house. But I want to take a look at this. You don't go there, but this is mentioned many times in different epistles in Philippians 1. He said to our beloved our fellow soldiers, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts five forty-two, it says, And daily he preached in the temples and in every house. They ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Many of the epistles were written telling them, to mind the church that is in your house. So I think one of the first areas that we can look at that the Bible gives us personal responsibility is in the church that is in your house. They had actual churches, but everybody has a church in their house. And that is your personal responsibility to reach your family and your friends. There's a church in every house. The question is, is it to God or to Satan? because you are leading and influencing the ones in your house one way or the other people will follow you whether to heaven or to hell is up to you but make no mistake about it there is a church in your house and you will be held accountable for what's taught in it we are responsible for what is delivered to the disciples that God gives us so Not everybody has a house church, but everybody has a church in their house. Everybody has disciples of some sort or another. For those with kids, those are disciples. And we will give an account for how we disciple them. For those without kids, there are influences. There are siblings, there are parents, there are friends, there are those who come. There is a house, there is a place of influence. And we do have a personal responsibility. And when I talk about responsibility, it's the things that we're gonna have to give account for at the day of judgment. There are things that God does, and then there are things that he expects us to do. He will never do for us the things he has told us to do. We will have to give account. The parable of the talents tells us that. He gave so many talents, and then when the time came, they had to give account for what they did with it. They were responsible for those talents. Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. So we can see in this passage that it's very clear that when God places a person of with an authority, then they give an account for how that authority is used. Pastors give an account for the souls of the people that are under them. Parents give an account for the children that are given to them. We give an account for the friends that we influence. We will give an account. It is your responsibility to pray for and to reach your family. Family is hard, no doubt. Your knowledge won't reach them its character or fruit that will change a family. They can't see past you to the God within you to believe the revelation or gifts that God has given you. They will only see God in your life through your love, humility, sacrifice, fruits, and light in the darkness. So shine the light and let them see your good fruits. It takes time, but it will work. I can give the example of my grandmother—that's Daddy's mom. She was uh, the first one in a Catholic family to get saved, and the way the Catholic Church taught them, you know, if you left the Catholic Church, you were you were damned. You were going to hell. So that was like a huge deal when she got saved and left the Catholic Church. But by the time she died, the whole family was saved. It didn't happen right away, but they all got saved. Family's not easy. But if you show the character, eventually, it does get through. I think sometimes people try to force things and make it happen, and they show bad character, and all it does is kind of hurt the the witness all the more. Pray, fast, believe, and keep shining the light. They're the ones that see you. So evangelism, when God sends you out in evangelism where people don't know you, that's where the the gifts and the signs and the wonders come really come through because they don't see you. They see what God's doing through you. They don't know you, they can see it as God. Your family can't see what you do as God. They'll, they'll be like the Israelites when they told Moses, who do you think you are? They have to just see the character. But we are responsible for the church that's in our house. So tend to it with vigilance. Matthew eighteen twenty says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, There am I in the midst of them. All right. The next section we're going to look at, areas that we have a personal responsibility, tending to the least of these, widows, orphans, the lame, the sick. We're going to see what the scripture says. And when I talk about personal responsibility, I'm talking about to the individual, because there's this concept of it being the church's responsibility to do all of these things, but the person in the pew doesn't have to do any of it. But things we're looking at tonight is the stuff that, yes, the church has a part to play in it, but each individual person also has a responsibility. The pastor has to tend to the church, but each person has a church in their house that they should be tending to also. The church should tend to the widows, the orphans, the lame, and the sick, but there is a responsibility placed on each individual to do those things also. We do outreaches, But in actuality, when the church does an outreach as a whole, it really should be mostly for the purpose of training the people or letting them experience so that they go out and do it individually daily and not wait for it to be a church function. Just like when we started our Saturday night prayer meetings, the whole purpose was to give the people the experience and the taste and to show them how to do it so that they could continue to do it every night at their own home to pray and to press in it's not something that we want everybody to have to come here to participate in it's more of a teaching it's just like when we have the little kids come up and put the money in the church bank for the march it's to teach them to give to the lord so we take money out of our pocket and we give it to the kids and we take them up and let them put the little money in the bank but there comes a point where they have to grow up and take money out of their own pocket And give to God. It's the same thing with all of the other things that the church does. Whether it be ministry or charity or any of those things. We do it together corporately as a learning. But there comes a point where each individual person has to mature into being willing to do those things themselves. There is a personal responsibility. In James 1.27, y'all can go to 1 Timothy 5 because that's where we're going to read most of it. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So we have a personal responsibility to keep ourselves unspotted from the world and to tend to the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. 1 Timothy chapter 5 gives us more detail in how to do that. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 5 is dealing specifically with widows, but I think it would apply to everything in this category, such as orphans, uh, the lame, the sick, so forth. It's any person who didn't have the ability to tend to themselves or take care of themselves. Honor widows that are widows indeed. Now, it starts off by saying, make sure they're actually widows. A lot of people will come to the church wanting charity and handouts. Just because you're Christian doesn't mean that you are obligated to take care of everybody, the lazy, the addicted. We help them, but you don't enable. So the first thing he says is if they are truly widows, check and make sure, widows indeed. And then he gives you some criteria of people that actually aren't widows and they didn't qualify for the church's charity. He says, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. So it said that if they're a widow but they have children or nephews, it's, it's the family's role actually to take care of them, not the church. They're still able-bodied people within their family to take up that responsibility, and it's better for the church to teach them to be responsible and, pi- and be pious and honor the elderly in their family. Now she that is a widow indeed, in other words, someone who truly doesn't have anybody to help them, and desolate, trusteth in God, and continueth in supplications and prayers day and night. So she's truly a widow. She truly has no one to help her. She's truly part of the brethren. She's good report. She's, she's doing a work in the kingdom, even if it's only in prayer and intercession, but she's doing something whatever bit she can. then the church can help them. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth, and these things give in charge, that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own household, and especially for those of his own household, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. So it gives you the description of what a true widow is, and it says, okay, in this case, then the church really can help and give charity and tend to her but if somebody in that family could have done it and they didn't do it then they have denied the faith and they're actually worse than an infidel if you left the burden on the church and didn't tend to your own family then there's actually a curse put on you we have a personal responsibility to tend to our own family now This is those who truly have something that was not of their own doing. The widowhood, the orphan, the lame, the sick. This does not apply to self-inflicted things like laziness or addiction or something that they could have gotten out of that your help would actually enable them to do worse. There is a place for letting them spend their time in the pig slop until they've learned to come back to the father's house. So you don't have to be manipulated by those who want to enable their problem into making you take care of them that's not what this is for this is for those who are truly genuinely not able to tend to themselves and actually it goes a little further to specify that this wasn't even talking about younger widows this was talking about old women who couldn't take care of themselves anymore and they had no children or anyone to take care of them it says actually that if they were younger that they needed to just go get married again and raise raise a family so I bring these up to just kind of show that there is a balance in Scripture. People will try to manipulate. We are required to give and to be charitable, and that's the bulk of tonight's message because that is our personal responsibility. But you do do it with wisdom. When there is a need, it is the person's family's responsibility to help them and to tend to that need. When there is no one to do it, then the church can step in but if the church steps in, and then those of that family who didn't do it have denied the faith and will be held responsible for it by God. Go into verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore three score uh, years. A score was like 20, so that's 60 years old. So it's actually saying don't take them in if they're under 60 years old. If they're younger than that, then they they need to go remarry. And having been the wife of one man, well reported, of good works, if she have brought up children, and if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the feet of the saints, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work, but the younger widows refuse, For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because that they have cast off their first faith. And withal they learn to be idle. In other words, they're going to learn to be lazy if you take them in. Now, it's one thing to help them find work. It's one thing to help someone get on their feet. We ought to be doing that. This was talking about a charity where they take them in and let them live off of the church. He says, if you take them in too young, they're going to get idle. They're going to get lazy. They're gonna start gossiping and causing problems because they don't have nothing better to do. And they're gonna cause all kind of contention in your church. This was actually warning against a welfare mentality. It was pre- warning against the welfare state kind of issues and problems. And I can tell you that from being in church all of my life, most of the problems come from people who didn't work. They had way too much time on their hands. And they ended up causing a lot of trouble. They'll learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will, (laughs) therefore, that the younger women would marry, bear children, guide the house, give no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. He's saying this problem is already happening in that church. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Okay, and then this at the end puts it even a little further, because this isn't even talking about within your own family. This is talking about each individual person discipling. You have a widow that you're discipling. You have a widow that you found you led to the, 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 okay, you tend to them, that the church not be charged with it. Leave the church to have to deal with those who absolutely have nothing. But don't overburden it. Everybody needs to take a personal responsibility to kind of carry the load. And again, we're not, this is addressing widows, but I think this applies to anything in that category of people who couldn't tend to themselves, like orphans or the sick or whatever. Because he was dealing with that problem. Because he did tell him, you've already got this problem in your church. Right. Again, emphasizing the need and responsibility for those who believe in God to tend to the needs of those in their own families and of their own disciples so that the church isn't overburdened and can be reserved to tending to those who truly have nobody. I'm teaching this to drive home the personal responsibility that God is watching to see if each person is taking individually. Everything we do in this world is a test. God is watching. And this is probably more for podcasts than for us, but I think there becomes this mindset that if a church is doing something as a whole, okay, they're doing an outreach, they're doing a homeless thing or whatever. If I just attend and show up, I can check off that box and I'm good. But God expects every person to do it too. And it's not wrong to do the corporate. There's a place for that. There's a need because the world needs to see the church doing good things and the church needs to teach those in the church to do those good things. But when it comes to the day of judgment, I think what God's really going to look at is what we did when nobody saw, when when we personally walked down the street. It's not going to matter that we checked off a box because truthfully, when we do things with the church, it is sacrificial to a degree because you give of your time and your energy, but it's not as sacrificial as when you pull it out of your own pocket and hand it to the person or when you have to spend the time to really hear the Lord to know that he's telling you go there somebody needs you and with God the connectivity and the relationship is the most important thing so he really wants you more attentive to follow his leading or to feel that nudging when he says go help that person as opposed to just okay when are we going to do this because we did this every December kind of a thing. A lot of times the people think, oh, it's the government's responsibility or it's the church's responsibility. But according to God, it's everybody's responsibility. Each person, don't give up your crowns. God often sends you an opportunity to bless someone because he wants to bless you and you threw it away. God's economy is very different than ours. He says humble and I'll elevate. So when he wants to elevate us, he often gives us an opportunity to humble ourselves first so that he can. He, he's, it's legalistic. Yeah, he's a judge. There are, there are laws. There are things that are set in motion that he has to go through. He says that the more we give, the more he'll give. So a lot of times when he wants to give, he'll give us opportunity to give so that he can then return. So be mindful of the opportunities and don't pass them off to somebody else because you may be putting, giving up a crown. Give and he will give more. Be faithful with the little and he will trust you with much. Bless and be blessed. Have the faith of Abraham. This is one of the main reasons that God chose Abraham to be the father of many nations is because he was generous. We know the story. When the Lord came with the angels, he thought it was just a stranger. He told his wife to go and get the finest flower and and make and make them three I think it was three measures of wheat's worth of bread which comes out to like 75 pounds of flour's worth of bread and butter butter. yeah they had to make the butter (laughs) they had to probably go milk the things and make the butter and and he thought these were strangers he didn't know it was the Lord coming he just saw strangers and he said make them butter make them bread give them enough stuff to take on their journey and it was the finest can you and we think oh some flour it took a lot of work without a lot of tools to grow wheat, to grind that by hand, to make flour. And he said, give them the best, not the barley, not the coarse meal, the stuff you would not wore your elbows out doing. He, he was generous. We need to have that kind of faith, too. All right. The next area of personal responsibility is mentoring and discipling. We tend to think that this is something that only the teacher does, but in a true church setting, each person, there is a time of learning where young babes in Christ come in and they just learn. But at a certain point, they're going to need to start producing fruit and they're going to need to go and be a witness to someone and they're going to need to encourage someone and invite someone in and they're going to need to take the responsibility to take that person under their wing and to call them and to check on them and to send them verses and to pray for them because the pastor cannot do it for everyone. We can do it generally and we can do as much as we can, but there comes a point at which you just get so overwhelmed that they end up starving because you can't cover it all. Every person is supposed to take people under their wing and help them and teach them. So there is a responsibility. In fact, that's where the term godmother and godfather comes from. In the early church, when a person would get saved, they were considered a babe in Christ. They would be assigned to a godmother or a godfather who would help them and guide them until they grew up spiritually in the church. That's the whole purpose in it. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 says, I write not these things, this was Paul speaking to the Corinthians, to your shame, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have not many fathers, for in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. There's a difference in having teachers and preachers and having someone who really labored to help bring you forth. There needs to be more spiritual mothers and fathers that are willing to labor to bring up little ones in the kingdom. Matthew 28:18 and Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is the Great Commission. Who was it given to? Everyone. If you're saved, if he has taught you anything, then you are commissioned to teach it to somebody else. The scripture says what you've freely been given, freely give and that applies to everything. If God helped you in a time of trouble financially, then you are obligated to help somebody else in a time of trouble financially. If God taught you something, then you are obligated to teach somebody else. If God encouraged you when you needed it, then you're obligated to encourage somebody else. If God corrected you when you needed it, then you're obligated to correct those who need it. Everything that he freely gives us, we have to freely give to others. For the disciples, for Paul, and I think for pretty much everybody in the church, there's a three-year learning and growing time period. We're not expecting you to teach Sunday school or anything like this, and I'm not talking about be a preacher, be in a pulpit. I'm talking about mentoring, discipling, encouraging somebody to come to church, taking them under your wing, answering their questions when they first get saved and they're so confused and they don't know what's going on a bottle for a baby it doesn't take a whole lot there's three years that we learn and we grow but after that we really should be at a place where we begin to teach others what we have learned in 2nd Timothy 2 it says and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also the things that you have heard and learned you should be able to teach others. So I'm not telling you to start a church. Not everyone's called to be a pastor, but we should all be spiritual mothers and fathers to little ones, mentoring, encouraging, teaching what we have learned. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, uh, this rebuke was given to those who weren't doing this. It says, For when the time had come that ye ought to be teachers you still have need of one to teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and or become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the writer of Hebrews was rebuking those who should have been mature in the faith because they had been in it long enough and saying, you should be teaching others at this point, but you're still in need of somebody fixing a bottle for you. I have to take you back to the basics and get you saved again, basically because they were in sin and having problems. So... This is not something that is left up just to teachers and preachers. Every person should come to a point where they're able to mentor somebody else. Even if it's just to bring them to another sermon. If it's to say, you know what, when I was going through this, this sermon really helped me. I'm not a teacher, but this helped me. This scripture helped me. We can still help fix those bottles. You don't have to be the best mother in the world to babysit for a little while, right? even nieces and nephews and immature people can babysit for a little while, (laughs) they can help. And it really helps the parent a whole lot. So it it does help your pastors a whole lot whenever you help to, to carry that load. There is a time for being babied. There is a time for learning to feed yourself. And there is a time to grow up and become mature and selfless enough to not only feed yourself, but others also who are too young and unlearned in the faith to feed themselves yet. Be hungry, but don't be lazy. I think that for ministers, the writer of Hebrew was experiencing this, there's nothing more draining and discouraging than continually nursing someone who should be fully grown in the Lord and feeding themselves. And I know I've experienced that. People that one day they're they're leading others and trying to lead others and then the next day it's like they're two years old again and i'm just like we're still here i'm so exhausted with you we're still here you know and and everybody goes through hardships but there's a time for people to grow up we all need help we all need people to hold our arms up at times but I had to give this as a word because I saw this happen to somebody and they were like spiritually dying. When we were kids, we had a cat. She had kittens. She nursed those kittens. Those kittens grew up. A year or so later, she had another batch of kittens. One of the grown cats off of the first litter comes back and decides he wants to still nurse with the new kittens. And she was letting him. So mama had to completely separate them because she would have died trying to nurse new kittens and a fully grown cat. The new kittens would have died. I've seen this happening in churches and I've had to give, and give I'm like, I, I told someone, I said, this is a strange word, but I'm telling you, your babies are gonna die and so are you if you don't cut this person off. They're grown, they shouldn't still be pulling on you to this degree, it's been long enough. And it happens in the church. The next area of personal responsibility is charity. Proverbs 19.17 says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord, and that which he hath given will he, God, pay again. So this is pretty straightforward. There's actually a lot of quick one-liners in Proverbs we're going to hit about this. He says that if you give money to the poor, you're giving it to God, and God himself will pay you back. He said the same thing about feeding people. He said, if you, if you have a dinner, don't invite those who can reimburse you or can bring something. Invite those who can't do anything, and then God himself will give back. We have a personal responsibility for charity. Matthew 6, verse 1 says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest these alms, Do not sound the trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you that they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So this is talking about giving. It says, don't make a big show about it. Don't sound the alarms before you in order to be seen of men, to be seen as, oh, look at me, I'm giving. Um, it says, if you do it secretly, God will reward openly. Now, there is a balance in this. Because the Bible does also say to let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and your Father be glorified. And it does say to provoke one another to good works. So it's not wrong, for example, to do outreaches soup kitchens public charity it's wrong to do it if you're doing it to be seen for it if you're doing it to have a photo op on facebook it's wrong to do it and i've seen this a lot and i've had to correct it where somebody gave like money to somebody but they made sure they did it in front of other people and it belittled the person that that they gave it to that person did need it and they took it but it was very much a a a shameful, embarrassing thing, and there was no reason for it to be done publicly. It could have been done unseen, but they wanted people to see that they were doing this good thing. That's what it's talking about. When possible, it's better to do it in the unseen because God will reward it more, and it doesn't belittle the recipient as much. Sometimes it's not possible. When we go out and do a homeless thing, it's not possible to be completely unseen, but you do it with the intent to shine the light to make people look at god in a good light not to make people look at you so there's a balance in that people do need to see the church and the saints doing good things but i think well i know that you are rewarded more when you do it when nobody knows about it charity prayer worship preaching all of these things fall in that same category i think that also when it talks about giving in secret, anything that you do in front of people or in the church should be an overflow from what you're doing in the unseen. It should be, what people see you do should be the tip of the iceberg compared to what you're actually doing. So if you're giving in secret, then it's okay to be seen giving in public. But if you're only giving in public and not in secret, then that's a pretty good testament as to why you're doing it. But it applies to any aspect of ministry. If you're only worshiping in front of a crowd and you're not worshiping God at home, then you're worshiping the people and not God. You want the worship of the people. Same thing with prayer. If you're only praying to be seen in front of a crowd, but you're not spending that time in prayer at home, What you do at church and in the public should be a small fraction of what's actually happening at home in the unseen. And then I think if you do that, then you're in balance and it's okay for those parts that are seen because it's an overflow. Even preaching. You should be preaching to yourself and ministering to the Lord more than you're ministering to the people. Or you're doing it for the people and not for the Lord. So examine each area and see where you're lacking and correct it. One thing about charity, you cannot outgive God. You know, when the Bible said, God said, test me in this, when he talks about the tithe and the offering. He literally challenges us to testing. And the thing about the giving, the charity, the tithe, and the offering, and all of those things, because the offering is is charity, because that's above the tithe, there's no condition of even salvation. He just said, do it and see that I don't give you back more. There are evil corporations that know this. That's why even evil corporations do charities and give money and do all that. They know that God has made that. If you do it, and any time we've ever tested him on it, He has proven He will always give back more. You can give down to the last. He's going to give back more every single time. You, will, you cannot outgive God. He will shock and amaze you every time. And we see that principle in Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, this is New Testament. In the Old Testament, it gives you the principle of tithe and offering. Tithe is the 10%, which is God's, and then the offering is anything above that. In the New Testament, they don't really talk about the tithe. So there are some people who think that that no longer applies, but you still are required to give. Regardless, I know that I've tested, and God always gives more, and he rebukes the devourer when you give your tithe. It says that if you give the tithe, he'll rebuke the devourer, and if you don't, then everything just runs out anyway because the devil just consumes it up. But regardless, whatever you purpose in your heart to give, give it and give it cheerfully. Don't give it begrudgingly. Oh, I gotta do this or the people are gonna think I'm stingy. Give it with joy. Give it to the Lord. Whatever you have purposed in your heart to give, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye also having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work so if you don't give much you won't get much this is where we kind of as a church we don't really preach tithe a whole lot every once in a while we'll hit on it because it is an important thing to know how much god blesses you when you do those things but we kind of leave it in this category whatever's in your heart that's between you and the lord you give whatever The Lord convicts you to give or what you want to give. We leave that between you. But it says whenever you do, do it with the mindset that the more you give, the more he gives. And that's not just to the church. That's in general because you tithe to the church, but you also give to the orphan and the widow and the needy and all of those other things. So everything encompassed. Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, where all, it shall be measured to you again. We've seen it time and time again, even with the, the food in the back, that every time we gave out, more came back in. I've seen it in our own life that every time we gave out, god turned it back around and something happened and and danny would get a raise or something god would always send more back in he will do it over and over and over again and he's testing you he says test me in this but really he's testing us because he wants to give more but we got to be faithful in the little if he can trust us to distribute what he gives us then he will trust us with more to distribute everyone bears the personal responsibility of giving both to God for the furtherance of the work of the church and to those in need around them personally that they meet and encourage daily. This is something that we will have to give account for personally. This is a personal responsibility. 1 John three seventeen says, But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother in need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And remember that you get rewarded more if you do it when nobody knows about it. Proverbs 22, 9 says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Proverbs fourteen thirty one says, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. So if you honor God, you will by nature want to help the poor. All right, ministering. We all have a personal responsibility in ministering. Again, we're not talking about pastors and being called into pulpits, but we all are called to preach. Preach means to proclaim. We are all called to proclaim. Mark sixteen fifteen says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I like that. Every creature. The puppies and the kittens and the bunnies. and the I forget who it was, but one of the greats, it might have been Smith Wigglesworth or one of them, had started out preaching to chickens. Nobody would listen, so he preached to the chickens. David Wilkerson used to sit in the wood and preach to the trees. Preach to everything. We all have the responsibility. We are all called to warn. Confession of what we believe, believe it or not, is part of our salvation. According to Romans chapter 10, verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh to thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed so if we don't speak it then our salvation is not completed. You believe it in your heart and you speak it with your mouth. If you believe, you will speak. We have this warning in Ezekiel 3, verse 18, And when I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his sin, but his blood shall I requite at thine hand. And without reading the rest of it, he goes on to say that, but if you do warn him, even if he doesn't listen or receive it, then you've saved your own soul and your hands are clean of it. That's why Paul said right before his execution that I stand clean of the blood of all men because I have not shunned to preach to you the entirety of the gospel. He said, my hands are clean because I warned you. So we are all required and we all have a responsibility and we all will be held accountable. For not warning the wicked that they are in sin and going to damnation if they don't repent we are responsible for the talents that we have been given the gifts the grace the resources of heaven that have been made available to us the use misuse or lack of use of them we're not going to read it we know the parable of the talents where certain talents were given to different individuals and some multiplied what was given to them and one hid what was given and kept it, but it didn't do any good. You know, God gave him some food. He put it in the closet and let it rot. He didn't give it to somebody else and let God come and give him some more. That's why we're getting rid of what's in the cabinet, in <laughs> the pantry. <laughs> like, okay, Lord, we're going to get rid of this. he send some new stuff. Or your gift. God gave you a word for someone and you were too scared to give it. You didn't multiply what he gave you. You didn't use it. We are responsible for appropriating or putting our faith or trust in using the grace that God has made available to us to do that which we could not do without him. Understanding when we talk about personal responsibility, we're not talking about works, us doing it in and of ourselves. We cannot do it without him, but he has made the grace available And we are responsible to appropriate that grace and to use that grace. It's not going to just happen on its own. You have to pray, you have to seek, you have to ask, and you have to obey. He has given us the power to overcome, but it's our choice if we will walk in that overcoming power. We can give up our crowns if we don't keep believing in what Jesus came to teach us revelations chapter 3 verse 10 warns us but thou hast kept the word of my patience i also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth behold i come quickly hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown you can lose the crowns somebody else can pick up what you put down You have a responsibility. It's your responsibility to forgive others. God won't make you forgive anyone. It's our responsibility to forgive. God will never do for us what he tells us to do for ourselves. The Bible says, humble yourself. It's your responsibility to seek to grow in humility. You are responsible to seek to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. You will be held responsible for how you spend your time. Because he tells us in scripture to redeem the time and he tells us how to do it. But it is your responsibility to do it. Faith drives action. Trust produces obedience. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The Bible tells the bride to cleanse herself that's an interesting one it says that in the book of revelations it says the bride hath cleansed herself and made herself ready but the reason he's saying it that way is because it is your responsibility to use the grace that god has given to seek forgiveness and understanding we can't do it without him but he won't force us to do it either we have to seek him we have to grow in grace we have to mature We have to go through the sanctification process. It is your responsibility to do the work of the evangelists. You are responsible to carry your cross and to reach the loss. It's our corporate responsibility to encourage each other to keep going further and to keep each other accountable in love as we press on. But it is our responsibility to walk in the callings that God has given to us. When we get weak, wounded, or weary and fall down, we are to help carry each other's cross. But we have to carry our own crown. Each person has to walk in their own calling. We can help each other carry the weight of the overwhelming parts of it when they come, but you can't leave it entirely up to someone else to do and think that you will be rewarded for it. So seek the Lord for what he's calling you to do. Ask for his grace and do it. I can tell you that in ministry, I've seen this many times where really God was putting something on someone's heart for them to do and they come to us with all of their ideas and we have to do this and we have to do that. But really it's them trying to relieve their own burden because the Lord's calling them to do that. You can't leave what the Lord is calling you to do to go fulfill what God is calling them to do. Be mindful of that and recognize there are times where somebody will come to you with something and you're like, you know what? That's the Lord that confirms I've been getting that. Let's do it together. But we've fallen into this many times where you will get burned out and worn out in ministry trying to carry everybody's crown. Because everybody has an idea, everybody wants to feel like they're doing what the Lord's telling them, but really they're just coming to you and saying, you do it. You can't carry everybody's crown. You can help them carry their cross if they're willing to carry their crown when they get weary and worn down. But every person has to do what God has called them to do and then it will all work together as a body to achieve the goal and the mission. But if it all gets thrown on one or two people, then everybody falls down and nothing gets accomplished. And we've had that happen a couple of times. Matthew 7 7 says, Ask and it shall be given unto you, seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For to everyone that ask he receives, and to everyone that seeks, he finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. It is your responsibility to ask, it is your responsibility to seek. Once he speaks, then it's your responsibility to believe. And step out in faith then it's his responsibility to step in with the grace to accomplish it I can't tell you how many times people call me or text me wanting me to seek the Lord for them give me this answer I've been I'm asking for this because they don't have the patience to wait upon the Lord to pray to get the answer to press in give me the answer give it to me quick seek for me People will wear you out, I'm telling you. It's every individual person's responsibility to ask, to seek, to hear, to obey. We can't do anything without him, but he won't do anything for those who won't take responsibility. He will give us the grace to accomplish what he tells us to do, once that we have released the faith to seek, hear, and obey he does nothing for a double-minded man. That's somebody who is indecisive. In James 1, five, it says, If anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and unbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If you seek him, you will find, you will get your answer. But let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven With the wind and tossed, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. A double minded man is unstable in all his ways. The word translated to mind there in the original text is uh, the word for spirit. In other words, if you're listening to more than one spirit, you're going to be unstable, you're not going to move in faith, and the Lord will do nothing for you. Seek the Lord, get a word from the Lord, believe it and stand on it, keep your faith, and the Lord will do mighty things. Be determined and steadfast. Seek, hear, trust, obey. You do have a part to play. You have decisions to make and actions to take. The whole reason you are here on this earth is to make choices that will affect your eternity. Everything from choosing between the tree of life and the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden to choosing between Christ and the Antichrist in the book of Revelations. From beginning to end, It's about choices. They start simple and get more difficult as you pass each test, right? The first one was between two trees. The last one's between two spirits, which were all like trees according to the Bible. Men are like trees. So really it was the same two things in the garden that it is in the end, but that's another message. Make no mistake about it though, you are being tested. So in every situation, make responsible decisions because you will be held accountable and held responsible for your decisions. Revelations 22, 12 says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according to his works. So as we come to a conclusion, I want you to take away from this uh, lesson. I, I want to kind of crush the image that's in our mind or the idea that it's the church's job only to do all of these things when in actuality it's everybody's job we should all be doing these things daily we are all the church we will all give an account personally for what we did or didn't do we all want to be fruitful servants not just know someone who is the more responsible you show him that you are, the more responsibility he will trust you with. Can he trust you with the greater things of his kingdom? Have you been responsible with the little things? We will have to give an account for what we did with his grace, his mercy, his truth, and his resources. And we will give an account for it personally. Not just what we did corporately, but what we each did individually and I'm not going to read it but we all know the story in Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats he says that the kingdom of heaven will be like this when I come I'm going to separate the goats from the sheep and on one hand will be the sheep and one hand will be the goats and on the sheep side he says these are the ones that when I was hungry you fed me when I was thirsty you gave me drink when I was naked you gave me clothes, when I was in prison or sick, you came and visited me. And they said, when did we do this to you, Lord? And he said, if you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And that's not a figure of speech. He says, my brethren, that means those of the household of faith. We are the temple of God. His spirit indwells us and empowers us to do his work in the earth. So it's him doing it through us. So if somebody helps us to do what he's actually doing through us, then they actually are doing it directly to him. And if they don't help, then they are neglecting him. So help the brethren, help the church, help those do good work. You might not be saved by good works, but you are going to be rewarded for the works that you've done. And we do each have a personal responsibility to walk in faith to the things that he taught us. It's not wrong for the church to do these things. The church should do these things, but it shouldn't come to a point where it's thought that it's the church's role when really it's the individuals, the people or the church. You will wear out overwhelm and burden out if you're trying to carry the load of everybody's crowns. It's time for everybody to step into their individual roles. Everybody mentors, everybody gives charity, everybody leads individually in their homes everybody reaches each one reach one each one teach one (laughs) and you'll grow the kingdom there's only so much that a few can do say like georgia we're better together so lord we just ask for your wisdom and your guidance lord we ask for this word to hit its mark for those who need to hear it when it goes out lord we ask that it penetrate our heart lord and even for the leadership it's 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 for us individually too, Lord, that it is important that you are testing. Lord, I know right now you are speaking very clearly that you are about to elevate and release things and you want to be able to release them to us. So you are giving us clear instruction to take personal responsibility to pass the test that you are giving in this season. Lord, that you're putting it in the hearts, whether we realize it or not, Lord, because I've been noticing it in individuals and everyone around me, Lord. You're, you're making us charitable. Lord, we know that things are going to get difficult in the land, and that will be an even greater test, that when it seems like you don't have anything, will you give what you have? Lord, you also want to bring an outpouring, but not only an outpouring of revelation and of gifts, but of charity and of the fruits of the Spirit. Help us to have enough faith to be good stewards of what you've given us and to have enough faith that you will replenish that which we freely give because you have freely given it to us. Let us not hoard your resources, but let us give out, Lord, and let it be done with wisdom, with the right character. Lord, help us to be led to those who truly need it and to remember that our utmost obligation is to the brethren. Lord, to help to uh, encourage and uphold and uplift and make sure that there is enough to meet the needs of everyone in the body. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.